You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. Our experience of almost everything in life works best when there's balance. Now, the first experience that I recall that taught me about the importance of balance came through a piece of playground equipment that still makes my stomach tighten to this day. Uh, That piece of equipment was the teeter-totter, or the seesaw, apparently, if you're from the UK or Australia, which I learned this week. I didn't know that that's where that comes from. But more than once, at a young age, I found myself on a teeter-totter with kids who were bigger than me. So if you ever had that experience, like I can only describe these particular kids as um, sociopaths, and here's why, because Because they were bigger, they had the ability to hold my side up in the air. Would you remember that? Like, I've never felt more vulnerable in my life than sitting forward at the top of a teeter-totter hoping I don't fall and die. So then, these future serial killers would jump off of the teeter-totter, and I would come slamming down to earth at what felt like warp speed, smash my tailbone into the ground, and knock the wind out of me. And and, and so my point is, the teeter-totter is all about balance. It's designed in a way that when we take turns distributing our weight, we go up and down gently. That was not my experience, and I still hate the teeter-totter. But without balance, it simply doesn't work as designed. And so I bring this up this morning because the scriptures teach us that healthy relationships require a similar balance. They require this balance between providing care to one another on the one hand and receiving it on the other. And the problem is, so many of our relationships are out of balance in this area, meaning there is often one person who almost exclusively provides care and another person who almost exclusively consumes it. And so what happens is it ends up feeling like one person is always serving and the other person is just always consuming. And like so many characteristics and behaviors, the scriptures call us to a place of balance between the two. And so here's the big idea that we're going to lean into together this morning. If you're taking notes, make a note of this. Community requires reciprocal care. Community requires reciprocal care. And so what that means is anytime the lion's share of the caregiving or the receiving always falls to the same individual, that relationship is out of balance, and as a result, it's increasingly unhealthy and has the potential to be unsustainable. And again, this isn't like this, this body of teaching that we're in together right now. It isn't just about community groups. This is true in our family relationships. It's true in our marriages. It's true in dating relationships. It's true in friendships, and it will certainly be true of the relationships that we want to continue to cultivate through community groups. And so if you have a Bible or an app that you like to read on, do me a favor and open up this morning to Galatians chapter 6. All the verses will be on the screen if you need them. But Galatians chapter 6, I want to look at the first five verses, and I'm going to call this message Community and Reciprocal Care. Community and Reciprocal Care. Now, for the sake of context, this book, uh, Galatians, was written by the Apostle Paul, who, if you are unfamiliar with his story, was prior to his conversion to Christianity, he was a Pharisee. And the fact that Paul was a Pharisee means that he was an expert regarding the Jewish law. 
Additionally, he was an early persecutor of the Christian church, which you can read about in Acts 7 and 8. In Acts 9, we read this story of Jesus confronting Paul in such a manner that Paul's world is turned upside down. And as a result, he surrenders his life to Jesus. And then Paul ceased persecuting the church and instead started planting them. Now, a portion of Paul's ministry involved writing letters to the churches that he had served in order to help them function in a healthy manner. And he writes this letter to Jewish and Gentile Christians in the southern cities of Galatia. Now, Paul had planted these churches on his first missionary journey in Acts 13 and 14, and scholars placed the writing of this letter um, in or around AD 48, which means it's actually the earliest Pauline letter that we have in the New Testament. And his overarching goal was to remind the Galatians that the forgiveness of sin is only found through faith in the finished work of Jesus. Remember, these were people who were coming out of a very religiously legalistic background. And he really wanted them to understand that there's nothing we do to add to or to contribute to the saving work of God. It comes purely through faith in Jesus. And so by the time we get to chapter 6 here, Paul has shifted to the subject of how these new Christians can both build and maintain healthy community. And he makes three simple points that all have a role to play in us providing reciprocal care to one another. The first point is this. Number one is restore the wayward gently. Restore the wayward gently. Listen to Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Brothers and sisters, If someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, and by spiritual he just means spiritually mature, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Now, I would argue the first thing that we have to notice about Paul here is the affection and the love that he feels for these people. Notice how he uses familial language. He says brothers and sisters. So Paul's not angry with them. This church had issues, just like every church has issues. But he wasn't agitated with them. He's deeply concerned due to the love that he feels for this group of people. And because of this love, he proceeds to paint a common scenario in the Christian life even today. Uh, Imagine someone in your life that you love, that you are living life with being what he calls overtaken by any wrongdoing, meaning you have a Christian friend or loved one experiencing some kind of moral lapse and stepping as a result outside of God's will. Now, if you were to back up in Galatians chapter 5, just a few verses, Paul gives this really long list of examples, but it's essentially anything that is outside of God's will for us. Now, we all know there is no such thing as a perfect follower of Jesus, and so what that means is all of us go wayward once in a while. And when that happens, Paul says that we have a responsibility to care for one another by restoring each other gently, meaning with sensitivity and consideration, but zero hint of self-righteous superiority. And it's a bit lost on us in English, but in Greek, Paul's very intentional about using language to paint a mental image of this for us. See, that word restore is translated from a Greek word that means to put in order. It's the same word used in Matthew 4 and Mark chapter 1 of fishermen who are mending holes in their nets. It was also common medical vocabulary in ancient Greek culture for setting a fractured or dislocated bone. So to restore is to put something back into working order again. And so the point here is that when we see 
one another go wayward in some way, meaning that we observe a pattern of someone that we love living out of step with God's goodwill for our lives in some way, we are called to care for one another by gently coming alongside to help put our lives back in order, to mend what has been damaged, to reset an area of life that's been fractured. And the reality is, it is difficult and often uncomfortable and awkward work. But it's also an essential means of care that we provide to one another. Remember, community requires reciprocal care. And sometimes that care looks like restoring the wayward gently. Now here's Paul's second point. Number two is support the weary faithfully. Support the weary faithfully. Look at verse two. He says, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. So Paul says that we fulfill what he calls the law of Christ. Now that phrase just simply is his shorthand for Jesus' command to love God and one another. When he talks about the law of Christ, he's summarizing sort of everything that Jesus said, which Jesus summarized as love for God and love for one another. And he's saying that we support that quote-unquote law by humbly carrying one another's burdens. And so this reminds us of a reality with which we are all intimately acquainted. This will come as no surprise to you. Ready? Life gets heavy. Life gets heavy. So even now, some of you walk in this morning with your souls feeling crushed under the weight of life. Because life gets very heavy. We all get stressed and overwhelmed. We all get anxious and afraid. We all get angry and sad. We lose people. We have conflict. Work is draining. Marriage is difficult. Parenting feels impossible. And being single gets lonely. Life gets heavy. And one of the beautiful gifts of the Christian faith is that Jesus has designed life with him to include life with one another. And life with one another means that we aren't meant to be left carrying life's burdens all on our own. And I would argue that this is a spiritual practice for which our community groups are specifically designed. We want to be able to shoulder the load of life together. Now, for that to happen, at least two choices are necessary. We have to choose to care, and we have to choose to share. So first, there has to be a choice to care. And this means we can't be so preoccupied with ourselves that we don't have any margin for others. This is why Paul says, man, you're deceiving yourself if you think that you're too good or too important to care for others. We have to be willing to sacrifice both the time and the effort necessary to faithfully support one another when life is heavy. Now, let me give you a real-time example of this based on conversations that I've been having around, in and around this subject of community groups. Like, maybe you've been sitting through this series the last few weeks, and you keep thinking, like, I don't really need to be in deeply connected community at Formation in general, or in a, in a community group in particular, because I already have my community elsewhere. Now, if you felt any, any amount of that resistance, I would argue that that resistance is entirely understandable. To be honest, like, I 
have sufficient community apart from a community group right now. But what I also know is that some people don't. And that means that I have an opportunity to both provide others with something they need while also broadening my own experience of community. And so what I would ask is that even if you don't feel like you in this moment need more community personally, I want to invite you to just consider joining a community group in order to provide that for other people who don't have it. Carrying one another's burdens demands the choice to care for one another. But secondly, we also have to choose to share, meaning we have to be willing to allow other people to come alongside of us and to share the load of life with us. And some of us are very reluctant to allow people to help us. You don't have to raise your hand, but I know like some of us in this room are wired in such a way that to receive help from others is very, very challenging for us. And I find that there is often a complicated web of reasons why, and many, again, of those reasons are understandable due to the experiences that we've had. But the truth is, when we close ourselves off from care, at least two things happen. Number one, we hurt ourselves because we end up trying to carry everything in life on our own. And then number two, we rob others of the opportunity to fulfill the law of Christ. And as a result, we have to work through any and every obstacle that would hinder our ability to allow others to help us. Remember, community requires reciprocal care. And oftentimes, that care looks like supporting the weary faithfully. Now, here's Paul's final point. Number three is examine yourself carefully. Examine yourself carefully. Listen to verse 4. Paul says, Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. Each person will have to carry his own load. Now, that Greek word that we translate in verse 5 as the word carry again, it's different than the Greek word that is used, but we also translate as carry in verse 2. So in verse 5, Paul's not contradicting himself. He's talking about when you stand before Jesus and give an account for your life, at that point, nobody can help carry your burden. That's between you and Jesus. And so Paul says, as a part of preparation for that day, we should very much submit ourselves to the spiritual practice of self-examination. Now, any amount of self-examination demands that we have some standard or some authority that is outside of ourselves by which we are held accountable or by which we assess ourselves. And so here, Paul is addressing the biggest mistake that we often make when it comes to this practice of self-examination. The tendency that we have that is detrimental to our souls, to our spiritual health, is comparing ourselves to other people and calling that self-examination, allowing other people to be our standard of comparison. Now, I've said this before, but the problem with comparing ourselves to others is that it almost always puts us into one of two ditches. We either feel inferior or superior. So what happens is we end up in a place of despair or in a place of pride. And so when we compare ourselves to another, sometimes we think, I am doing so much better than they are. And that's a place of pride. Or we feel inferior to the person because we're not even getting close to where they are, and that leads us to a place of despair. And both pride and despair are two sides of the same destructive coin. And so in order for us to avoid either of these two ditches, 
Jesus must be our only comparison when we examine the fruit of our lives. Because making Jesus your comparison leaves no room for feeling superior because he was perfect in every way. Like if you ever are reading the Gospels and you're like, I think I am so much better than Jesus here. We, Jesus, help you. That's a dangerous, dangerous place to find ourselves. So it leaves no room for pride, but it also leaves no room for despair because he has offered us endless grace when we fail. And so in order to make Jesus our comparison, we have to do the work of self-examination through the lens of Scripture. So that means we allow the Scriptures, every time we open them, to take us apart and then to sew us back together. And so we read asking ourselves, is my life in line with what I'm reading? And when it is, we celebrate the goodness of God's grace, forming that inside of us. And when it isn't, we embrace the goodness of God's grace to follow his words and will. And the reality is that so much of the breakdown in our relationships day to day come in the absence of people being willing to examine their own attitudes and actions. And so as a result, what we end up with is just a severe lack of self-awareness in our relationships. Tammy and Tyler and I went to the Delta Center last night and saw one of our favorite comics, uh, Naper Gotsi. And anytime you get into a group that size, it is just like a lack of self-awareness on display. It was unbelievable. Just from the car to getting inside. We were walking out of the parking garage. I see a woman in a public space, other people around. And if I'm going to, this is free advice for you. If you do this, today's a great day to repent and stop, okay? If you talk on speakerphone in a group of people, I love you. But I don't know that anyone else does around you when you're doing it. She's doing that full voice, like, what is, so, what is different from here to here? I don't understand why people are like, this is just so much easier. Is it really? Maybe see a doctor. Then we get inside. There is a family behind us who brought like a seven-year-old girl, which is great. He's a clean comedian. He's hilarious. It was great that she was there. She whistled for a full 45 minutes before it started and kicked Tammy's chair the whole time. Whistling, I, if, if I could, I would abolish whistling. It'd be against the law. It never sounds good. It's just, who watches? I, I don't know. And then a woman behind, this all, I understand I'm a psycho. Bear with me, okay? The woman behind us, the whole time, I don't think she laughed one time. Not one time, but you know what she did do? She kept going, that's funny. That's funny. I just want to be like, we know, you psycho. We're all laughing. Just laugh. That is the appropriate response. No awareness of how weird it was the whole time. Just go, that's funny. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen at a comedy show. Anyways, those are all, that's just that's one night. That was like two hours I was out. All of that, that was an example of self-awareness. And, and this is something that we only cultivate. Those are like silly examples that are not a big deal. But the reality is some of us have very significant entrenched attitudes and behaviors that we are largely unaware of that cause in, incredible damage to our relationships with one another. And the way that we become aware of that in the least painful way is to do this work through the lens of Scripture of self-examination. Remember, community requires reciprocal care. Now, we have hit on three behaviors that Paul would argue are essential expressions of this reciprocal care that cultivates community. 
But what we haven't really discussed very much up to this point is the attitude from which they flow. And that attitude for all three is humility. Because it requires humility to keep front of mind that every single one of us is always one bad decision away from going wayward in life. And so as a result, we should restore one another gently. Furthermore, humility births the choice to care for the weary. And humility is the prerequisite to allowing others to care for us. Humility is the engine that drives us to look inward, to examine our hearts and lives for the places that are out of step with God's good will for us. Community requires this reciprocal care, and reciprocal care is cultivated in the soil of humility. So I want to close by praying and asking that God would give us the courage to humble ourselves over and over in these ways. Will you pray with me? Bow your heads. Father, we just want to continue to thank you that you have designed us and designed life in such a way that each and every one of our souls longs for deeper community. We long for deeper connection to you. We long for deeper connection to ourselves. And we long for deeper connection to one another. And Lord, you have given us a path forward in this. And so I just I pray, Lord, as we take a moment here to just sit in the stillness and to reflect. Press upon our hearts what is needed and necessary for us right now. What do you want us to see? What do you want us to hear? What do you want us to receive? What adjustments do you want us to make? Lord, we pray that you would speak into our hearts and our minds right now, that you would do the very thing that Paul is calling us to, that you would look for any place in our lives relationally where we are wayward, and would you restore us gently this morning? Lord, we ask that you would help us to see what we don't. Help us to be aware. Help us desire in all things, at all times, to be all that you have created us to be. Would you help us with this? In Jesus' name, amen. Before we move on, if you're comfortable just continuing to sit with your eyes closed, I want to invite you to take just a second and to sit with that question. To what might the Spirit of God be inviting me? Pay attention to where the Spirit might be nudging you this morning. Maybe one of these three points really seems to land for you or you feel very challenged by. Be curious this morning about what the Spirit might have for you. And then as you become more aware of what that might be, just ask for his help this week as you seek to live that out in response to the grace that you have been shown by Christ.